1 Corinthians 13.5 and from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. You can find it on page 4 in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Hear the word of the Lord. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks, Melissa. We're continuing in our series here today on what we've been calling defensible sins or excusable sins, and we've just been going through different areas of moral failure, moral weakness, sins, that are all too easy for us to neglect, excuse, forget, deny, tuck away, And we're looking at one more, one more today. Let's pray as we start. God, thank you so much for your life-giving word. And even when you convict us to the heart 
for ways in which we fail, we know it's always to give us life, to lift us up, not just to leave us in a place of hopelessness, but to give us new hope, the hope of the gospel. And so we pray that you would do that today, and that even as we talk about this unique area of darkness in our lives, we pray that you would always do it in light of your light, the light of your Son, that you would draw our attention to Him. So help us to see Jesus even more than we see our own sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In your opinion, what's the hardest stuff to forgive? Going through life, you have relationships, different people that wrong you, that hurt you, that sin against you. What's the hardest kind of sin or evil or wrong that's the hardest for you, for me, to forgive? Sometimes it's the stuff that's the most painful, right? A devastating incident or event Maybe a word that was spoken or actions, ways in which we felt violated. Maybe even possibly emotional or physical abuse that you have in your life. Or maybe just a way that somebody flat out just wronged you. And it lingers in your heart. And it's hard to cut them loose. But sometimes, sometimes the hardest stuff to forgive is the repetitive stuff. doesn't have to be a big deal on its own. But it's the little things that add up again and again and again that creates our deepest resentment. The ways in which you've been snubbed or wounded by the same person again and again and again. We see this especially with people that we live with or that we've known for a long time, maybe a friend or a roommate people in which you find yourselves in the same repeated situations in the living room, in the kitchen, in the home, maybe family members, spouses, children, parents, or people that you interact with on a regular basis, bosses, co-workers, or even perhaps neighbors. Neighbors. People that dump their trash in your trash can, play their music far too loud on the weekends, keep you up at night. Or maybe a certain racial group, people for whom it's far too easy for you to draw conclusions about them based upon skin color or cultural preference and practice alone. Whatever it might be, it's that thing that keeps harping on us again and again. Sometimes it's not a fierce anger. Sometimes it's not a deep, violent thing in our heart. Sometimes it shows itself just in the form of annoyance or just being bugged by a person. I think this is what the poet William Blake was getting at when he said, all too wisely, it's easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. Resentment, bitterness, holding a grudge, 
having baggage in a relationship. We talk about it in a number of different ways. The first passage that we're looking at here, 1 Corinthians 13.5, gives us some very helpful language. Talking about the nature of love in our relationships. Here the Apostle Paul tells us, love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. It almost gives us two different forms of anger here. Some kinds of anger are quick trigger and explosive. Other kinds of anger, harder to see, are more slow burn. (laughs) And sometimes hard to detect. Keeping a record of wrongs. Holding long accounts. (coughs) Holding detailed Records of what people have done and reminding ourselves of those things again and again and again. I have in my house a dry erase board, one of these whiteboards. Maybe you have one yourself in your home or your office or whatever. And it's something that I use often for different meetings. If you've been in a leadership meeting or a planning meeting at my house, you'll see that we've used it many times or just scrawling different diagrams. We use it for training seminars and, and that sort of thing. But one thing that I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed on your whiteboard too, is that even though the ink of the marker is dry erase, right? That's the whole thing. You can erase it, start all over again. It's not an etch-a-sketch. It's a dry erase board. Similar idea though. But if you leave it on the whiteboard long enough and store it away, as I have done on numerous occasions, you come back to it and the ink's been sitting there. It's dry erase if it's been sitting there long enough. You try to wipe it off and it's still there. Or maybe you get most of it off, but you can still see the shadowy outline of the things that you are listing on that board. It's sort of like that, isn't it? Our hearts were meant to be dry erased as far as forgiveness of people's wrongs against us are concerned. And sometimes we want to, or sometimes we think we have forgiven people. And yet if you leave it there in your heart long enough, even if you do or you do partially, the outlines of what they've done, we still carry with us and we still count against them. Some of us, we don't even mess with the dry erase markers. We just go straight with the Sharpie. Permanent ink right on that board. Going down that list again and again and again. This is what Peter and Jesus are talking about from this passage in Matthew 18. Peter in verse 21 comes to Jesus. He asks him this very reasonable question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? You see, Peter's actually asking a question of saying, God, Jesus, when can I draw the line? How many times is the the point at which I can stop forgiving? But you see, Peter still counting, isn't he? He's still keeping track and he wants to know when it's okay to do that. Jesus, of course, responds, verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or that could also be translated 70 times seven. You see, Jesus is taking two numbers, seven and ten, which in the Bible everywhere symbolizes 
perfection and totality and completeness. And he's bringing it together and he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to forgive with a perfect forgiveness times a complete forgiveness plus a total forgiveness. Sound impossible? It is. We'll get to that. It is. A limitless limitless forgiveness that overcomes the bitterness in our heart, the resentment in our heart. Let's talk about this. We'll talk about this in four different parts real quickly. First, a portrait of resentment that this passage gives us. The problem with resentment. Then we'll look at the power to forgive and then the practice of forgiveness. Portrait, problem, power, and then practice. So first, a portrait of resentment. What does resentment in our hearts look like? Well, Jesus tells us a story and he gives us a picture. The first scene of this story, a servant owes a king an extremely large sum of money. And we find that even though the king has every right to imprison this servant and demand that this servant pay back his debt, we're told in verse 27 that the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And then in the next scene, Jesus tells us that this very same servant whose debt was canceled by the king is now seen confronting a fellow servant, a co-worker, who owes him a much, much smaller amount of money. And here Jesus tells us, verse 28, he grabbed him, began to choke him, and say, pay back what you owe me. And in verse 30, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And this is what Jesus tells us is at the heart of resentment. Emotionally and psychologically, throwing a person into prison and raging at them, pay back what you owe me. Pay back what you owe me. And we do this all the time. So many ways, creative ways, ways that we take payments from people in our relationships. You know, the way that we replay that mental videotape in our heads, even when the person isn't around, but we're replaying what they've done and we zoom in and we slow it down, slow-mo, and we hate them for it in our hearts. Little ways in which we're shouting at them, pay back what you owe me. Or the ways in which we are so quick to react when a person that has wronged us in the past react against them in a way that's actually totally disproportionate to the situation. Why? Because we're bringing in that long history. We're bringing in that record of all that they've done to us before. We're bringing in the shadowy outlines of that list on the dry erase board. And we're punishing them doubly, triply, quadruply, and sometimes disproportionately to the situation. Sometimes if you are exploding with anger in a way that doesn't make sense to the situation, oftentimes it's because of the resentment in my heart. 
I'm mad, not just because of what was just done or said, but because of the long history of all that was done and all that was said. You like that? That's me. Story of my life, my relationships. Or maybe when you're working through conflict, you're in a fight or you're talking through something and your conversation tends to keep drifting backwards to something that's totally unrelated that a person maybe did to you. And we hear it often in the language of you always or you never, which is just another way of importing a long history and a record of wrongs. We get passive aggressive. We give people the cold shoulder. We ignore them. We avoid them. We remain emotionally distant and guarded. Just different ways to say without saying, pay back what you owe me. Gossip, slander, venting. Oh, we're so good with this, right? We, 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 we seek out a listening ear. And sometimes we even manipulate situations where we just say, I just want to tell you a little bit about something that happened or what this person did to me. And before you know it, you're going over the history of all this person has been. It's venting, but really it's resentment and it's coming from that place in the heart. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about in the beginning of our sermon on self-righteousness, this thing that we do that has been called humble bragging, right? Ways in which you can brag about yourself without actually sounding like you're bragging about yourself. And you kind of encase it in language that sounds humble when in fact you're very arrogant in what you're trying to communicate. While I was thinking about it, we also do something you might call the humble jab, Not the humble brag, but the humble jab. You know, the way in which you encase in humble sounding words ways to accuse and ways to jab at people or way to talk smack about a person all because of our resentful hearts. You know, the way that you go to a roommate and you say, oh, you did the dishes. Well, you're so unlike my past roommates. Or the ways in which we talk to a person and, you know, maybe a next door neighbor and we say, oh, hey, you know, I've noticed you've started taking drum lessons, right? I'm really glad you're practicing at 11 p.m. You know, it's really great. You know, you don't mean it at all, but you're sort of trying to make it like you're having a normal conversation. But you got a point. You're communicating, right? That's why you said it. Friends, what are those subtle ways or maybe not so subtle ways that you demand payment from people that have wronged you. Or maybe there's a particular person in your life with whom you have been keeping a very long and detailed record of wrongs. Sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. Sometimes it's the people for whom it's easiest just to get into this habitual pattern and not even realizing how terrible it really is in our relationships. What does it look like for you? Who is it in your life? That's a portrait of what resentment looks like. But secondly, the problem with resentment, what's the big deal? What's the problem? Well, first of all, it's a poison. Friends, we know this. Medical studies that show that even physiologically, there's a lot of damage that's done from a bitter heart, an angry heart, holding that in our lives. Plenty measurable real health benefits to releasing bitterness and forgiving other people, but not just physiologically, spiritually too. We, we have unhealth and sickness in our souls more than we think 
because of the ways in which we cling to issues of resentment. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A bitter root. Literally, this expression is a root that produces poisonous fruit. And we see this in our lives. You got a long record of anger towards another person. It affects your heart. It disrupts your relationship with God. It disrupts your relationship with yourself. It becomes a cancer in a community. The ways in which you are venting and angrily and resentfully spreading rumors or slander or talking, all these things. It's a poison. But it's a problem also because it is just so deceptively reasonable to hold a grudge, isn't it? Because after all, you are being sinned against, right? This is why it's so hard to actually notice it, because you are actually being wronged. And there is a sense in which it's right to feel that injustice and even be angry about it. The Bible gives us permission along those lines. But therefore, it's so easy for us to sort of sidestep the process of forgiveness. And notice, look, Peter doesn't say, look, I ain't forgiving nobody. Peter doesn't say that. He says, I'll forgive, but can I draw a line? He says, I'll forgive, but maybe just up to seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six. It's over. Right? And Peter's just playing the role of a very reasonable person. Sure, it's good to forgive, but as long as it's just not going on too long or not too bad or repeated too many times. But the problem you see is Peter's still counting. Peter's still recording. And this is exactly what makes this sort of resentment feel so excusable, defensible. It's good math after all. I was the wrong that was, I was the one that was wronged. It feels right. It looks right for me to hold it against them. But maybe most importantly, the real problem with resentment is that it's a sin and it's a danger to your soul. Understand, I'm not saying as I said a second ago that it's a sin to feel anger or hurt or pain for the ways in which you are wronged. But what Jesus is talking about is that it is a sin and offense against God and the other person to be committed against ever walking through the process over time to forgive such a person. It is a rebellion of our human heart to be committed not ever to move in that direction. Did you notice the sober ending to this story? It's a scary warning. We almost don't know what to do with it. We almost want to cut out the last two sentences, the last two verses of the story. Look, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And so in anger... His master turns him over to the jailers, what? To be tortured until he should pay back all he owes. Then Jesus concludes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. 
If you live your entire life demanding, demanding, demanding that justice be served in all your relationships, one day, in stunning irony, God will allow justice to be served in all your relationships, including your relationship with Him. If you're asking for a universe and a world in which Justice is the operating principle and not mercy. One day, just one day, God will give us what we demand. For asking all the time, pay back what you owe me, pay back what you owe me. One day, God will respond with devastating justice, okay, as you wish, and He'll pay back what you're owed. You see the fairness of the judgment of God and the cancer and the sickness of what this sort of anger and resentment in our hearts really can result in. God is offering mercy, but Jesus, thank you so much for kindly showing to us what happens over time when we harbor bitterness in our hearts. It's a sobering thing, isn't it? A serious thing. We do well to pay attention here. Do you want to pay attention? Do you long for freedom from this sort of record-keeping resentment? Which brings us to the third point, the power to forgive. How do we then forgive? How do we then release our resentment, learn how to keep no record of wrongs? And Jesus gives us a key very simply The key here is knowing how much you yourself have been forgiven. What's the key to being released from this obsession that we have to keeping a long, detailed record of wrongs against our spouses, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, people in our lives? It's remembering and deeply, deeply remembering again how much you have been forgiven by the God of the universe. If you were listening to Jesus tell this story in the first century, when you got to the point in verse 24, when he gives us the details of how much this servant owed the king, did you know you might have laughed, you might have even cried? Why? How much is a talent? The amount that the servant owed his master, 10,000 talents. You know, the debt that this servant was forgiven by the king? Do you know how much that was worth? In Jesus' day, one talent was worth about 20 years of wages for the average worker. So I don't know what that would be in today's terms. I don't know how much you make. 20 years. Do the math. 10,000 talents, which is about 200,000 times whatever you make each year. Billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. This is what Jesus gives to his audience with this laughable hyperbole, this exaggeration, just to communicate a nearly unfathomable, absolutely unpayable debt that the master canceled. And this is what God does for you and me spiritually with our sin in Jesus. An unpayable, 
unimaginable debt that we have before God for all of our sin and pride and selfishness, for all of our resentment, for all of our self-centered desires and motives and actions, all these things before God, which He, through Jesus, promises to cancel. And it's called forgiveness. Where He does not demand payment from you or me if we have embraced Jesus because He has paid it down Himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, friends. Jesus on the cross paid the debt that we couldn't pay. And on the cross, the justice of God does in fact cry out to every single one of us, pay what you owe. But the mercy of God shouts back in the bleeding hands and feet of Jesus, I'll pay what they owe. I'll pay what they owe. Colossians 2 we're told that God canceled that long record of debt that stood against us, Paul says, nailing it to the cross. And the psalmist in Psalm 130 thinks out loud and says, look, God, if you, O oh Lord, kept a long record of wrongs, like I do with my wife, with my friends, with my family members, with people all around me, my neighbors. If you, God, kept a long record of wrongs of my life, who could stand? Who'd be able to make it out of that? But with you, he continues and says, but with you there is forgiveness. And therefore you are feared and worshipped. And loved with awe and reverence and freedom. Have you experienced this forgiveness, friends? Do you want to experience this kind of forgiveness from God? And to experience it again and again as you know deep in your hearts that God forgives you even for the things that you have done again and again and again, past, present, and future, He cancels that debt and forgives you each time as if it were the very first time. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Do you know this in your life? This is the power, friends, for forgiveness. You know, we taste this in our own lives with our normal human relationships. Someone gives you surprising mercy. Someone forgives you in an unexpected and powerful way. It does loosen up your heart, doesn't it? And it does make you want to be the same way with others. It does give you emotional and spiritual resources, power to forgive others, doesn't it? Can you imagine if your soul would drink even more deeply from the forgiveness that is ultimate and from the relationship that matters most and from the one that you have offended the greatest, God Himself. 
Have you experienced deeply those forgiven 10,000 talents today? Because this is the big question. Jesus poses it in verse 33. Whatever that friend or that individual you have in your life, the one that you keep the longest records for, the area of life that's hardest for you to forgive, this is the question. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? So lastly then, what does that look like? Just a few practical pointers on the practice of forgiveness. What does it look like actually to start working through this then and start taking steps away from resentment into a life of forgiveness? Let me give you three quick principles and then we'll be done. Three, three quick principles, if I can find the last page. Number one, number one, forgiveness is an act of the will and an act of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the heart. Look, forgiveness does need to engage our emotions. Jesus is very clear about that. Verse 35, he says our forgiveness needs to come from the heart. It's not just a legal transaction. It's not just a formal thing that you force yourself to do alone. In verse 27, the master forgives the servant. We're told he took pity on him. However... Forgiveness is more than a feeling. It does require feelings, but it's more than a feeling. First and foremost, friends, forgiveness is a promise. First and foremost, forgiveness is a commitment, an act of the will, not to make the other person pay down their emotional debt to you whenever you have an opportunity to do so, but rather you will pay it down yourself. So every opportunity you have to replay that mental videotape, or maybe to slide in that snide comment, or maybe gossip about the person just to spread a bad report about them, Every time that comes about that opportunity, you don't do it. And it hurts, but you don't do it. And you promise yourself, and you promise yourself, and you renew that promise again and again and again. C.S. Lewis, Christian writer from the UK, he writes this. Look, we forgive, we mortify our resentment, then a week later... Some chain of thought carries us back to the original offense and we discover the old resentment blazing away as if nothing had been done about it at all. Right? We need to forgive our brother 70 times 7, not only for 490 offenses, but for that one offense. I do not mean that anyone can decide this moment that he will never feel it anymore. That's not how it happens. I mean that every time it bobs its head up, and it will, and it does, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, we must hit it on the head. It is hard work, but the attempt is not impossible. It's like whack-a-mole, right? 
It's going to bob its head back up and again and again and again. But will you commit yourself to bobbing it on the head and saying, I'm going to pay this down myself? Which means, of course, this implication that contrary to popular wisdom, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Not something that you just do once. You know, I was really angry, held a grudge, I was bitter, but finally I forgave him, poof, it's gone. No, no, most of the time, forgiveness is an ongoing process. Sometimes even a lifelong process, a series of decisions, not just one, a series of decisions of the will and of the heart not to demand payments from the offender. And you can see how important this is when struggling with resentment. Expect it to pop up again and renew that commitment of mercy again and again and again. Principle number two flows right from this. Forgiveness hurts. Forgiveness does hurt. It's costly. It's costly, right? You're not only canceling someone else's debt and not making them pay. You're actually paying it yourself in the heart. You're actually saying, I will eat this cost myself emotionally or practically or personally. And that's really hard. But did you know that Jesus in this parable is not in any way dismissing the pain and even the evil of wrongs that are committed against us, even while calling us to forgive? You know, the servant in his story, he's condemned for not forgiving the debt of his fellow servant, right? But do you know how much it was that that other servant owed this first servant? Do you know how much it was? A hundred denarii. We talked about the talent, but a denarius was actually roughly equivalent to three months of pay for the average day laborer. Three months of pay. Again, I don't know what you make. That's a lot of money. Jesus didn't say he didn't forgive his fellow servant one penny. It's a lot of money. Jesus wasn't messing around. Forgiveness hurts. Forgiveness costs us. We are not downplaying the reality of evil when we forgive it. In fact, we are actually acknowledging it even greater, dealing with it and offering mercy for it. And this is why we need to be careful, friends, about this idea of forgiving and forgetting. I'm just going to forgive and get it out of my head. Or to hold that up as the standard that we're all shooting for. It's not a matter of pretending that nothing happened. It's not a matter of slipping into denial or thinking that a sin is not a sin. We can talk about this more. Number three, and lastly, forgiveness starts with seeing yourself in the other person. It all starts with seeing yourself in the other person. Isn't this what this story is all about? What makes it so laughable about what this servant does to the second servant? After having just been forgiven billions, if not trillions of dollars in Jesus' story, then goes over and doesn't forgive, forgive his servant, Jesus almost tells the story in perfect parallel fashion, right? What's he trying to say? You're just foolish. You're outrageous because you're that guy. You're that guy. And he's inviting us to see ourselves in those who wrong us and to be able to say in our hearts confidently, oh man, it hurts what they just did to me. Or, oh, it bugs me. Or, man, I don't know what to do with this pain or anger. 
But when I'm looking in your face, I know I'm looking in the mirror. A fellow sinner. A fellow debtor before God. Needing the mercy of God myself. Needing the forgiveness of God in many ways more than you. So it comes back again then to what do you see in your heart? And what have you personally experienced of the forgiveness of God? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Jesus is calling us to something that is just frankly humanly impossible. Does it feel impossible to you? It's a good place to be. I know it might stink. Maybe it don't feel so good right now. It's a good place to be, to come to Jesus on your knees and say, I'm desperate for you. But to know that he'll lift you up and say, I have forgiven you. I have canceled your debt, your 10,000 talents and more. This is the God we're coming to. The God who himself has loved us with this sort of love. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, love one another as Jesus has loved you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word that speaks truth into our hearts and rattles us to the core in some ways and yet also gives us hope. To know that you have not left us alone and you haven't said, look, go figure it out yourself and come back when you're ready. You've given us everything we need, every power. Your Holy Spirit persuading us of the forgiveness of you, God, through your son, Jesus. Enabling us, and for some of us, maybe for the first time, to start, maybe not complete right away, but to start the process of releasing records and being free from resentment. Teach us how to do this. And maybe most of all, God, make it a joy. We praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing.